This is a HeadGum Podcast. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome to another episode of Just a Tip. It was the podcast that was equally about its tangents as it is about its tips. It's still about tangents and tips, but now we are really, really digging into another episode of my spiritual journey. This time we have this time we have breathwork teacher and author Ashley Neese on. We talk so much about figuring out what we need in our lives individually and how slowing down and introducing breath work will help us get there. I am not going to say anything else because there's so many gems in this episode that I'm just going to play it. Enjoy. <sighs> okay, before we get in, uh, I just wanted to like ask how you were and thank you for coming on. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Megan. I am doing well. It's been a busy time. We have a three-year-old and there's like both my partner and I work, you know, and I've just wrapped yesterday, I actually handed it in the manuscript for my second book. So this oh. is like perfect timing. I know. I was like, oh, I'm like so like relaxed now. So this is great. Um, but yeah, I'm wow. doing really well. Yeah. Oh, that's so. First of all, thank you so much for sending your book. That was so nice. Oh, of course. Of course. And the little note in it, that's the best. When people write notes in the books, that's like not a lot of people do that anymore. <laughs> Yeah, I know. I feel like so many people, especially like bigger authors who are signing like, you know, thousands and thousands of copies. It's just like you get like a squiggle, you know, but this was really nice to just be like, oh, I can write a little note. So I'm so glad that you got it. Yay. It's it's coming at also the perfect time because I'm spending so much time in the desert and I've never felt so connected to myself and the earth. And I really, really need this right now. And so I'm so happy that we're speaking and it's kind of like the, the planets are aligning because I've been going through like health issues because I've been so stressed and so overworked and so constantly burned out that my body's like yelling at me. And so I'm now trying to slow down and I, th and it keeps coming back to me. People are like, do you do breath work? And do you do this? And I'm like, I don't think I've ever like taken a breath in my life to be completely <laughs> honest with you. <laughs> so I'm so excited for everyone listening to hear your story because I think so many of us and artists in general, we 
should be connected to ourselves and our breath. But now with, you know, capitalism running the art industry, it's like, well, how do we make money, but also make art? It's, it's very difficult. And so I'm, I'm really excited to talk about getting back to the breath. And I guess we can start with your journey. Like what was the beginning of your breathwork journey? Well, I came to breathwork kind of unconventionally. And, you know, it's interesting you're talking about art and design because that's actually my background. I have a master's in art from um, CCA in San Francisco and thought, you know, since I was little, I'm going to be an artist and a creative person. And, you know, people often ask me, like, are you still an artist? And I'm like, yeah, Mm -hmm. totally. I just do it in a different way. You know, so my life is very much about creativity. And that's so much for me, what breathwork is about and writing books and seeing clients, like there's so much that requires you in the creative process to be present. Right. And so what I love about breathwork is it just helps me get there a lot faster and helps me stay there when I'm in those processes. But in terms of how I got there, I came to the breath through meditation when I was in an in-treatment facility when I was young, because I got had a lot of, you know, wild days that just went really, really way too far. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some scary stuff happened and I had an opportunity to go in treatment facility for drugs and alcohol counseling. And it was in those kind of early days that it was suggested to me to meditate. And for anyone who's ever struggled with any kind of addiction to anything, it's like really hard to sit still, you know, and like quiet yep. your mind. I was like, what does that even mean? Like, I don't want to be with myself. Like there's a reason I'm drinking. There's a reason I'm doing all these things. Like why would I want to be with myself? And so that first counselor and sponsor I had were just like, just sit, set a timer for one minute and just see what happens. And it was honestly like so excruciating and also surprising. It's almost like I didn't, I wasn't fully aware of how much I didn't want to be in my body until I just got like kind of created the conditions. So got everything out of the way and then actually sat still and was like, oh, wow. Okay. Like there's so much healing. There's so much repair. There's so much work here for me to do. Mm. And I started really slow. And that's what I tell my clients. I'm like, start with like two minutes a day. Like, let's keep it simple. Let's keep it sustainable. Something that you can build on. Like you're building any muscle that you would build or any memory that you're trying to create. Like if it's learning piano or working out or whatever it is, it's like, you got to start small Mm -hmm. and then you just build, you know? And I'm not saying that to make it seem simple because it's, it is simple and it's not, if that makes sense, you know, because there's so many things that are like clamoring for our attention and so many ways that we get distracted, not just because of ourselves, because of like you were mentioning the culture that we live in. It's so driven by, you know, consumerism and going really fast and productivity and all this kind of stuff. And that's really against what we're trying to do. Like Mm -hmm. we're actually trying to just be quiet and be with ourselves and that's really the biggest gift I've gotten from breath work over the years is just learning how to like one breath at a time, just come into myself and feel myself and learn how to be present ultimately, which isn't something that I ever, I did want it, but I didn't know how to get it, if that makes sense. Right. So when you were first starting your breath work practice, did the facility introduce that to you or did your meditation app or community, like how did you hear about working with your breath more? So I learned about it. I was actually involved in AA and I had a sponsor who was really into meditation. And so mm-hmm. she had me do a breathing meditation. And back then, this was quite a while ago, breath work wasn't like what it is now. You know, it wasn't like as big of a thing, but meditation was. And so she was like, just count your breath. And mm-hmm. she's like, I want you to do a really simple breathing practice and just do it for a couple of minutes. You're just going to inhale to the count of four and you're going to exhale to the count of four. She's like, that's literally all I want you to do. And those first couple, like especially the first couple weeks, 
I wish I was like, that sounds so easy. Like I'm going to like totally like get an A on this. Like, yes, let's go. (laughs) And literally within like three rounds, I was already like obsessing about something else. I was like freaking out about this. I was worried about this. And I was like, oh my God. So this practice is really about like coming back and returning and returning and returning. And over the years, I've learned how to do that with much less judgment and much more kind of gentleness and slowness. But she was the one who introduced me to really just following the breath. And, you know, some people, I've heard this a lot in my practice, are like, I've tried meditation, it's like so hard. And what I love about breath work is it gives your mind something to focus on. So even if you do right. go off, because you will, but then you come back, right? It gives you an anchor. Right. When I first started meditating, and I don't do this often, I'm really trying to get back onto my spiritual, sustainable spiritual path. Um, because uh, my partner even kind of pokes fun at me sometimes because I'll be like, oh my God, I just heard about like human design and I'm a generator and you're a manifesting generator and like all these things. And it's like, I'm going to change my life because like I learned this new thing and I get so stoked on it that it's all I think about. And then the next week I, I fall off and then it's like, wow, I should really start meditating again. I'll do it next week. And it's like, oh no, I, I've got to find something that is sustainable, um, which I, and I'm just right now, I'm just like on this journey within my journey. This is like a sub journey of how to get back on my journey. And so I'm really interested in, in all these different modalities and specifically with your, I did a breathwork class a couple years ago at, um, some place in Los Angeles with a friend of mine, First time I ever heard about breath work ever. And we walked in and there was like a ton of people. This was pre-COVID, ton of people. And we had like our own little pillow section and we, we laid on our back and then he led us through a bunch of different types of breathing. And like, I thought I was going to die the whole time because like, I think maybe I had too much, too much oxygen, but it was like, I've just never breathed like that before. But when you mentioned like, there's so much stuff that came up for you and you clocked it as things that you needed to heal. I remember in that moment, like, I think I dozed off or something because I was like relaxed. And then I woke up and I felt like everyone was laughing at me, but they weren't, I think they were just laughing and that's what woke me up. But I thought they were laughing at me. And that's so interesting that like when you do allow yourself to like settle into those moments to be like, oh, what, where did that come from? Like, even though I just thought it was like, oh, they were just laughing at me. But like, why did I think they were laughing at me? What is this underneath, underneath, underneath all the way digging into what is that, that core belief that I think that like people will laugh at me if I don't know what I'm doing or something like that. Totally. Yeah. I really relate to that. I re- I remember when I first started teaching breathwork and this is something that I'd always preface like every class with and say to the students, just as a reminder, A, because it was something that I wish I had heard early on, but I'd say, Hey, just so you, I'm going to teach you this practice. You can't get it wrong. Like, don't mm. worry. Like you're not going to mess this up. Like you're, it's, it's going to be okay. And everyone just, the whole, you can feel the whole room. Everyone's nervous system is like, okay, we can't mess this up. Great. Like now I'm more interested in doing it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Cause I'm not worried about like, what is this going to look like? And I'm like, everyone just close your eyes. Like no one's looking at you. Like, let's just go inside. But it's so important to just have those reminders of around, especially around these practices that we're doing. If they're not something that we grew up with, which most of us didn't. So it's like, they can be really strange in the beginning too. And they bring up, like you said, a lot of stuff. And it's really about getting underneath all those layers down to the core, which you so eloquently expressed. It's like, that's what we're really trying to get after. Yeah. I think that also like really relaxing into that there is no wrong way to do it is really helpful with meditation as well. Because I remember when people started 
talking to me about meditation. I, when I was 25, I'm always trying to be like ahead of the game, which I got to figure that out. (laughs) I remember when I was 25, everyone that was 30 or above, I reached out to, and I was like, what advice can you give your 25 year old self? Cause I want to take your notes and do them now so that when I'm 30, (laughs) I like, will have already done them. But I remember everyone saying meditation. And for so long I would try it. And I'm like, wow, I'm just so bad at this. Like I'm not I'm not getting what I want out of it. And I think because I'm such a goal oriented person, spirituality has been like, it's been interesting to navigate that because when I'm sitting down to do a meditation or sitting down to do some sort of like journaling session, it's like, well, if I don't have an aha moment or if I don't like feel like I'm floating in meditation or if I like think about too many things and I've, I've failed. And that's not the case. Like, j- like exactly what you said, just taking the time to do it, like that is getting an A. Totally. And that's, you know, one of my old teachers used to say like 95% of it is just getting, getting to your mat, so to speak, right? It's just getting to your journal. It's getting into the fridge to like make yourself something healthy, like whatever that thing is, like that's 90% of it. And then the rest will just flow. And it's, it doesn't really matter what it looks like ultimately. And the thing is, it's like so much about building that muscle and building that consistency. And that happens over time, you know, and there's going to be so many moments where we're just like, where's my peak experience? Like, why isn't it here yet? You know what I mean? Especially after you have a couple, you're like, dude, every time I get into breath work, I need to like go big. It's gotta be like all the things. And I got to cry and scream and like have my peak experience. And then like, just float on the cloud, like you said. And so often it's just so ordinary. And I think for a lot of us that can feel really disappointing, you know, because we're also so conditioned to have everything be like so big and like so massive. And so when it is more subtle and it is more ordinary, there can be this process that we have to go through around like, oh, actually this is okay. And this is the sustainable part. And this is actually what my nervous system needs. And like, let's have a peak experience like once every couple of years. And like, that's awesome. But like for the like long haul, like let's just slow down and like be gentle. And those are things that are again, like so counterculture, you know, because we feel like if it's not all the things then it's not right. And it's not, we're not going to heal or whatever it is, you know? Right. I love the term peak experience. I've never heard that before. Is that a, a breathwork or spiritual terminology or is that something you say? It's, it's, where did I pull it from? They say it a lot in like kind of, you know, like um, all different kinds of spiritual modalities, but it's more geared towards like people who are really into athletics and people mm-hmm. who are looking for like that. Okay. When I've like done my run and I'm like, got this runner's high, it's like that kind of a thing. And it's really when your endorphins are going and that can happen a lot in the breathwork experience, especially more in like a breathwork journey where you're really like breathing for, you know, an hour, hour and a half. And then you can potentially have a peak experience there. And, you know, one thing I've seen, especially when I was in LA for a long time with different communities, people doing like, like MDMA and like all different kinds of stuff, just trying to get help and heal themselves. Yeah. Like that they're looking for the peak experience, right? They're looking for the like aha moment or like the super high that's going to like carry them on. And oftentimes what I found within myself and through all the work that I've done, especially around trauma is that it's, it isn't sustainable. There's nothing wrong with it. But when we're looking for sustainable change, and especially those of us who've suffered from trauma, like we're actually looking for something that's much slower, that's much softer, that's Mm -hmm. much more regulated, because then our nervous systems and our bodies and brains can actually metabolize and digest it and change, if that makes sense. Because if we're always kind of shooting for the peak experience, it's really hard to metabolize that. And it takes a long time. And sometimes those those experiences can actually kind of blow us out. And it can be hard to recover from that. Yeah, that that really brings up some stuff. I mean, my relationship with work is 
probably like my, um, my greatest addiction. And that's, I've been really, really working on that, um, for a few years in therapy. And now I'm, I'm now just starting to uncover all of, you know, what societal standards and my parental conditioning and, you know, internalized capitalism and the patriarchy, all this stuff that is put on me like armor, I'm now shedding off and going, oh, I, I'm craving a much slower life, but I, have kind of built my identity or my internal identity, at least off of how productive I can be, how many, you know, views I can get when I used to only make YouTube videos and like how, you know, it, it, not only are we digitally, um, I guess, valued if we've got higher followers, but also like the money coming in is higher. So it's like, oh, if I just run this hamster wheel up until I can get more and have more, then I will be happy. And it's, I, I read this so many times of like all these rich celebrities being like, money doesn't buy you happiness. And it's like, yeah, 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 but you have enough. And, then, and then it's like, well, what do you know? You're rich. And then, so now that I'm getting to the point and in no way, shape or form, am I rich, but I am comfortable enough to where I'm not in scarcity, like how I grew up. So I go, okay, I, I worked my ass off to get this far, but now I'm looking back at my last 10 years and I'm so grateful for everything that I've done. But it's like, oh, I cannot sustain this for 10 more years. No way. Like my body is shutting down. I'm having migraines and vertigo and, you know, losing my period for four months. It's like, whoa, I need to slow down. And, and I think a lot of people, especially in this, I guess, in any creative field now online, it's like you have to always be working. And now that I'm saying that, it's like, you, that's not a creative idea. That's like something that people put in like the corporate structure and, you know, people that my dad is an immigrant. So coming here and having to work really hard in order to give his family security, it's like, oh, and, and he's also Asian. So like Asian parents are very strict. And so growing up, it was always like, do the most, be the most, have the most, like, it's going to be great. And now that I'm older, I'm like, yeah, I don't really vibe with any of those thoughts anymore. And so I'm, I'm untangling everything I thought. And, and that's why I'm so excited that I've got your book here, like 25 simple practices. I can do simple practices. <laughs> so I'm really excited to, to get into these and really like start that true connection again, because I guess I haven't really lived, been living for myself. Mm. You know, Megan, I'm really appreciating what you're saying and also hearing you know, a little bit more of your story and those layers. And I'm, what I'm really getting is that you're, like you said, you're untangling a lot of these beliefs and it sounds like you're also in a place where your, your values are shifting, right? Yes. And like what you thought were your values, whether that was from your parents or whether that was from our culture, which are so many values placed on us. It's like, but what are my values? Yeah. And so often when we do that quiet work, it's like, it's pretty radical because it's often so different, right? Than our conditioning. It's like, oh, I actually value like going slower. I actually value, and of course there's all this like neuroscience research and all kinds of stuff now that points to like the more breaks we take, the more rest we get. Actually, the weird thing is the more productive we are mm -hmm. and the more creative we are because we can go deep. You know, if we're just always kind of swimming in the shallows and if we're always hustling and if our bodies are like always breaking down, we actually can't get to that really deep core work in our creativity that we want to get to either. So it's like, and I'm not, 
you know, touting rest as a means to be more productive. I think that's really problematic. <laughs> and just like, you know, when big corporations are like having me come in, they're like, okay, can you come teach everybody breath work so that they can go and like work more and produce more? I'm like, no, no. <laughs> Guys, like, hi, that's not why I'm here. I'm so happy to come teach everyone. And I do a ton of corporate work and I love all the corporations that I work with, but it's a bit of a mindset shift in the beginning. And then they're like, oh, yeah, actually, we want everybody to be healthy and grounded and right. regulated and maybe take care of themselves. I'm like, now we're onto something. Now we can use breath work to like help them get there. It's not just to like have them produce more for you. You know what I'm saying? Or for your bottom line or whatever it is. But that's also in the last 10 years has shifted so much in terms of, you know, corporate culture and a lot of the organizations that I work with. Cause they're like, Oh, actually now they're caring so much more about their employees. They're like, we don't actually, we want our burn it, our burnout rates to drop. And, you know, in 2019, the WHO basically made this huge announcement that burnout is now like a global health issue. Like I it's saw real. That. Yeah. It's a real thing like around the world. And so what are we going to do and what are, how are we going to go inside of ourselves and decide like, what are we going to align with? What are our values going to be? And then how do we make those like small incremental changes to like shift the direction, you know, not just for ourselves, but for, you know, the larger culture. Yeah. I'm wondering how long, I mean, obviously burnout, the sensation has probably been all, everywhere forever, but I'm, I'm wondering like, as a global species, I mean, I guess this is a grander question about your ideologies, but like, do you think that we're finally reaching a point where the world is taking things seriously and that we can make a change? Or do you think that the world will continue spinning the way that it is and the people that decide to, you know, champion themselves, then they, they can do that for them and heal the multi-generational trauma and they can do that for their communities? Or do you think, I'm like, here's all the answer, or here's all my questions, answer all of them at one time. <laughs> or do you think that like, it starts with us and then we lead by example and then the whole world will change? <laughs> those are like, <laughs> those are huge questions and they're, they're really important questions. You know, I've been thinking about this a lot as I just finished up the manuscript for my second book and just thinking about the time that we're in and how many different crises are happening just like constantly. And not that there weren't be happening before, but they're just because of lockdown and because of everything else, it was just like almost like everything just got louder and more intensified. And my sense, and I've heard a couple, you know, different people talk about this, but my own personal sense is that we are all in like a labor right now. We're all in like a collective mm. time of transition and we're transforming. And some of us are going to get on board and we're going to do what you said. We're going to like heal the trauma. We're going to like show up for our communities. We're going to like bring as many people with us as we can. And other folks are just going to choose to stay in their patterning and their imprints and in that kind of unconsciousness. And be left behind, honestly. That's what I think. I know it sounds kind of like brutal, but I just really think that's right. And we, we can see it. Like there's so much polarity. There's so much shifting. And there's a way that we're all changing. And there's this alchemy that's happening. And I think it's a really potent time. And I think there's a lot of opportunity for really deep, necessary healing and reparations and so many different things across like you know, every spectrum, but it's going to take the individual, like it has to start with us doing our work and doing those incremental changes and then being willing to, you know, sacrifice maybe our, you know, kind of put our ego aside or whatever it is to actually stick up for our environment, to stick up for the people who can't stick up for themselves, to really be voices to all of those, um, all those pieces. And, 
you know, it's, it's also such a, like, it's easy to get overwhelmed right now and just feel like, oh my God, there's like a million things going on. Like, how do I even help? How do I show up? And to me, it really comes back down to what we've been talking about. And it's like, just pick something. You know what I mean? It's like, we all, I, I hear so many times people are complaining about like, I don't understand why the government doesn't do X about pollution. And I don't know this. And it's like, what are you doing in your own life right now? Like, yeah. what are you actually doing? You know what I mean? It's like, look at your life. What are you doing about plastic? What are you doing about this? It's like, let's just actually start making those changes and then we can go out and do the bigger thing. And does that make sense? Yeah. It's like, it's so, so, so important because it's so easy to speculate and to point fingers and blame and be like, somebody else will take care of it because that's what most people have been thinking for so long, you know? And it's right. like, no, nobody else is taking care of it. And actually the younger generations are like pissed because they're like, hey guys, like you're effing up the world for the rest of us, you know? Right. On so many levels. So like we all have to jump in and do something. Yeah. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center. Thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. I, I mean, I, that's, I am grateful for Gen Z for like speaking up about so many things. And I think the millennial generation has done so much work around therapy and breaking those stigmas because my parents, that, what? No, <laughs> never, ever. Don't say the T word at the dinner table. <laughs> and so I'm, I am like so grateful for that. I'm, I'm also wondering like the five day work week invented by Henry Ford. Like, oh yeah, don't even get me started, girl. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, why are we still doing that? Like if we're, if we're really thinking about what works for us and slowing down and how good all this stuff is for us, what? Like we got to get, I guess we got to start this on the ground level. And maybe when you go to the corporations, all the CEOs will be like, yeah, I like that. And then maybe if they try it, they'll go, yeah, four, four day work weeks sound pretty nice. <laughs> I just read some headline. It might have been this morning. It was, I, I can't remember if it was LinkedIn or like one of these tech companies. And they were like, our CEOs, like all, like all the like top execs, like took a week off. Like, here's what happened. And it's like, great. Like start there and like, you know, work your way through the entire organization. But like, I'm starting to see more and more of these little clips. And to me, that's positive because it's like, okay, people are starting to take this seriously. They're starting to get it. And again, it's like all the research shows, like we have to take, breaks like yeah. and not just the research but like let's just talk about our bodies like from a biological perspective it's like we are designed to get sleep so that's like a real thing we're not supposed to not sleep you know what I mean and 
our bodies will, it's like we can push them only so far before they're going to try to get homeostasis however they can. Mm -hmm. And for a lot of us, myself included, that has meant like I'm laid out flat in bed because that's how my body is going to get the rest and the Sabbath that it needs. Right. Um, You know, until we decide like maybe there's another way to get that rest or that break, you know what I mean? Without having to be flat out in the bed for a week. Yeah. (laughs) Now that we're talking about work, I want to know if you saw a shift once you started doing breath work and meditation practices on your, how how you work. Like before, were you ever a workaholic or what was your work relationship like before breath work? Um, I was a workaholic before breath work. I was a workaholic probably five or six years into my breathwork career. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And I've, it's something that I've struggled with for a lot of the reasons that you talked about too. It's from, you know, my family of origin, from the family system that I grew up in, from the culture that I grew up in, from being a woman, from being, you know, all the things it's like constantly having to prove myself, be better than like, be smarter than just all the things. And, um, and it was the same thing with breathing and it wasn't so much about being better, but it was about Um, And I realized this like five years into my, when I had a private practice in LA and I was seeing so many clients a week. And then I I got to a point where I would see like four or five clients in the morning. And then I would literally have to take a nap. Like I could not, I was non-functional and I'd be laid out in bed for like two hours. And then I would get up and see like a few more clients. And then at some point my body was just like, like you, you have to like tap out, you know? So I emailed, I had a super long list of clients at that point. I was just like, Hey, my body's talking to me. I got to take a sabbatical. Like I'm going to just go and rest and do some things that I need to do for myself. And at that time I was so scared because part of my self image was like, I never slow down. I never rest. Like I just go and I've got all this energy and like, I don't want anyone to think I'm weak and that I can't handle it or that I'm like not a good teacher. You know, it's like all this crap. And I was like, and to your point, it's like, wait, who's this talking? Like whose voices is this? Like whose beliefs are these? And so I was scared to send that email. And what was so amazing, every single person wrote me back and they were like, oh my God, thank you for giving me permission to do this. I'm totally taking a sabbatical. Like I'm totally taking time off. Like take as much time as you need. Email us when you want to get back to work. Like when you are ready to see clients again. And since that first sabbatical I took, God, six years ago, I just take them regularly now. Like that's just actually part of my practice. It's built into my workflow. Like I just don't work for certain months out of the year. I take time off. I love that. Oh my God. (laughs) Wait, what does that look like um, in the calendar year? Like, do you have specific months that you block off or do you do like one here and one there whenever you feel like it? So for the first few years, I had specific times that I blocked off. And because I was mostly doing, I was doing corporate work, but my practice was mostly seeing individual clients and teaching classes. And for most people travel around the holidays. So I would typically take off like middle of November till middle of January. So I'd always give myself those two months. Mm -hmm. And then typically in the summer, I would take like another six weeks off, depending now that I have a three-year-old and we live out in the country and our lives are completely different. It's not as... The schedule is a little bit different, but I do take around at least three months off a year at given, oh, you know, different points that. just to, it's so necessary. Yeah. I love that yeah. so much because that's something I'm thinking about a lot in this kind of cocoon. I would say I'm in a cocoon phase for sure. I always feel like I'm a con- in a cocoon phase. can't even say the word cocoon, <laughs> but it feels like we're always in transition, but I, I feel like a, a bigger shift in myself right now. And it's a lot of it is regarding my work around my relationship to work. And so I'm, I'm trying to understand like what is actually necessary and what is just like 
work, not even working to feel like I'm working, but like that all of my conditioning to be like, I just always need to be a hundred percent productive. The, the thought of not ever taking a break. And if I was going to live my life like this for the rest of my life, I would like be on my deathbed being like, that was like a wild ride, but I didn't really have fun sometimes. And it's like, oh yeah, like lives are meant to be lived. And, and I'm working on this project in the desert, a lot of builds with my hands, a lot of working with wood, soil, uh, the sun. I go to bed when, or I stop working when the sunset happens. I wake up with the sun. It's very healthy for me. And I feel like I'm connecting to kind of like my ancestral lineage. Like, I feel like I'm like really doing what we were, what we are supposed to be doing before we decided that like, we need to work a lot. Um, or in this, in this way, obviously, like we were always like running from lions and making fires and building shelter, (laughs) but like, I feel like that's the type of work that I want to do. And that's the fulfilling, satisfying work is to do that for myself. That doesn't feel like work. And so that's, that's the goal that I'm, I'm going to. And imagining three months off, it's like, oh, I could just like renovate a house. But for me, it's, that's not like a money thing. And that's not a Instagram real thing. It's just like a, this is so nourishing for me in so many ways that I feel like I'm living like we are supposed to live like out in the sun, tending to crops, like doing all of those primal things. It's, it's like super enticing to me right now. So hearing that you take three months off, I'm like, okay, yeah, I'm going to do that. <laughs> yeah. And to your point too, like we moved, we live out by Yosemite national park now and <sighs> We moved out here a year and a half ago and we're on 30 acres and just feel so fortunate to be, yeah, it's like, wild. we haven't, there's parts of the land that we haven't even visited yet because there's so much brush and so much stuff we can't even get over there. But it's been, you know, talking about aligning with your circadian rhythm and like going to sleep with the sunset and waking up with the sunrise and just being out on the land. And we've got this like it's like a 65 foot garden where we like grew a lot of our own food this summer and, you know, getting our son out there just naked running around, like playing in the, in the dirt and just really like having that experience. And then for me, it's like that to me doesn't feel like, you know, starting the garden was a a lot of work. Like it was a lot of physical labor. It was, you know, it was like shoveling mulch and doing all this kind of stuff. But once we get everything set up, then it was really just that tending to and going out and Mm -hmm. connecting with the plants and seeing where they were and seeing if they were getting enough light and water and just those kinds of things. And it's so like, my nervous system is just like, yes, it's so regulating. It's so grounding. And it really does feel like, oh, this is, this is what we're supposed to be doing. You know, we don't have to have a huge garden like I have. It can be indoor houseplants. Like there's some way for all of us to connect with that, that can really just regenerate ourselves on such a deep level. Yeah. I also think that tending to something, whether it be plants or pets has really helped take me out of my anxious brain. Uh, when I first got my cats, I was just like, Oh my God, I got to keep you alive. And so I wasn't really thinking about any of my stresses. It's like, okay, do you have enough food? Do you have water? Do you have everything you need? And it, it is really it helps a lot to feel selfless. Like, I I don't know if I've ever felt like that true sense of selflessness, even in my relationships, because it was just, I mean, maybe they weren't aligned at the right time or whatnot. But yeah, it feels like if we're doing that for plants and pets, and that's like the the intro to doing that for ourselves, then that's amazing. And I think I'm finally getting to that part. Like I've had my cats for about four years now, and it's like, okay, now I'm gonna take care of myself because I haven't been doing that. Yeah. And I love that what you shared too. Like sometimes we need that entry point. It's like, you know, I've been doing a lot of like really intense work 
with my, with my family and, um, you know, around setting boundaries and just a lot of like, just a, a lot of really hard stuff that it's not that I wasn't doing it before. Like I was doing it to a degree, but then once we had, had our baby, it was like, Whoa, okay. I just got initiated into like a whole nother level of like all the things. And I was like, Oh, actually now I have to take care of myself and mm. this child in a totally different way. And I also want to model to him something that I was never like, no one ever modeled to me. So that's also really important, but it's almost like being taking care of him is like up leveled my own ability to take care of myself too, and just go so much deeper with it. So yeah. I appreciate what you shared, what you shared about the animals and the plants. Cause we just, sometimes we just need that entry point. Cause it can be so hard to do things for ourselves, you know? Oh yeah. So hard. <laughs> yeah. I mean, especially when, when lives are dependent on your care, like plants, <laughs> kids or pets, like you yes. have to learn the nest, the necessities of being a, a living, breathing organism. And you're like, okay, wait, so am I. So let's give me, I'm going to take some of that or like take the idea of that and then apply it to myself. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Another thing that I was thinking, and my therapist and I just talked about this earlier today, speaking about work and like the amount of time you have left over in order to tend to yourself, your garden, your kids, your, your pets, your family, your relationships. It's like if you listening are also or have experienced workaholism, if you put 98% of your time into work, you only have 2% left for everything else in your life. That's your self-care, your relationships, your um, just general day-to-day living, friendships. There's so much that you have to squeeze into 2%. And that's why relationships fail. That's why you like, you become unhappy. It's like, oh, you're putting all of your energy. Cause like, we can't like make more energy. We have energy. We can raise our energy, but we can't make more of it. So it's like, um, how am I going to use the energy that I have in the right ways? I think there's also a, probably a a graphic somewhere online in, in some like therapy Instagram account. That's like, if you only have like one jug of water and you have five cups, how are you going to fill all the cups without, you know, running out of water? And that's such a, that was such a interesting and insightful thing for me to see because it's like, oh yeah, I think I'm limitless when it comes to working. But then when it comes to like actually being human, I forget about what I need and how much I actually have and my resources. Yeah, that's so true. And I appreciate the visual there too, because it's, you know, my friend Kelly talks about this in terms of like buckets and she's like, we have like our family bucket, our partnership bucket, our work bucket or whatever, like cat's bucket, you know, all the different (laughs) things. And then it's like, at the end of the day, have all of our, we're putting all of our, you know, energy into our work bucket. It's like, what do we have left over? And it's so, 
I know um, the therapist, she's written so many books, Esther Perel talks about this a lot too. She's like so many of the couples that she works with, it's like they're like not putting any effort or energy into their relationship. And she's like, of course you guys are fighting. Like, of course there's infidelity. It's like if you basically show up and give your partner like crumbs, you know, over and over and over and you're not actually putting any real concerted effort into that relationship, like it's not just going to sustain itself. Like it needs love. It needs care. It needs attention. Just like everything else. It needs energy, you know? So that's, that's something that I've been working on a lot in my own life too, right now, just with writing the book and then parenting Solomon and all the things. And then it's like, my really, I'm like, oh, my relationship is with my partner is like not where it needs to be. So that means I need to shift some of the buckets around and like put more in that bucket because it's mm-hmm. something that's important to me, yeah. you know? And the way that I show that it's important to me is by giving it attention. You know what I mean? It's not right. just enough to be like, you're so important to me, sweetie. It's like, yeah, okay. So like, what, like, are you going to like show up and like, you know right. what I mean? So Like show, don't yeah. tell. Right? Like just show. <laughs> like I don't actually care what you say. Just like do the thing, right? And it's like, oh, okay. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's what I'm, I'm also realizing that too. And something that was like really illuminating is since I have been putting my work first for so long and like spent all of my twenties just working like 90 plus hours per week, um, trying to like build businesses and become like financially stable on my own. It's like, Oh, I'm so used to that. So every time I get into a relationship and there's any sort of, you know, friction and it's like, Oh, you'd want me to work less, boy, bye. And it's like, oh no, 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 no. Like now my partner is like, maybe you should work a little less because like you're, you're not well, (laughs) like you're always sick. And I'm like, ah, okay. I'm going to listen to you just because like, I know you're worth it and you're, you are holding a mirror to me and I am seeing that and okay. And it is like, it's, it's not normal for me in order to put somebody like, at the same level as my work. And I know that sounds like so sad for people listening to be like, oh my God. But like, I mean, that's just the, that's the case with me right now. And I'm working through that, but it's, it's really interesting to go, okay, I'm going to work 30% less. And exactly like you said, like put that into that bucket because I, I guess for some reason I thought like once it was locked in, it was good. And that's not the case. (laughs) Girl, it's not the case. I know. (laughs) I'm just laughing because I'm like relatable. Like, Yeah. I've in in the past in past relationships have gone through that with so many different partners and I remember my last partner before um you know I got engaged to Nick it was just that was like one of our kind of it wasn't like it was a constant battle but it was definitely like hey, I just like, it's like, give me some more attention. And I'm like, well, just go entertain yourself. Like I have yeah, stuff to do. You know right. what I mean? And now I'm like, oh my God, I said that. Like, oh, it's just like, and now I don't have any shame about it. It's like, that's where I was. Like, that's just where I was in my life. And I was like you, I was just like, you know, in LA, I was hustling. I was like starting my business. I was building all these things. I was doing clients. I was like supporting myself and making money and being like, okay, I'm setting myself up. And I just honestly, at the time, wasn't really in the space mentally or emotionally to like give that to that person. And I think that's what I realized too. It was like, oh, actually I just, I'm not ready to like open that up for you. Mm-hmm. So I'm just going to keep working. But now with my current partner, it's like, no, no, it's sometimes it just, it's like, we have to go through what we have to go through, you know? And at some point we get, we're ready. And then we're like, okay, like, I love you. And I see that you want the best for me. And I've done, I've actually done this pattern many times before. Yes. So maybe now we're going to switch it up, you know? That's exactly, <laughs> oh my God. That's like the motto of my life right now. Like I, I've been exactly like what I said earlier is like, I've lived 10 years overworking myself into actual deficit, like health deficit that I'm like, 
okay, well, what else is there? Like, what are the other options? Like, I've already explored that, like, far <laughs> down the road. Now, like, let's let's take a detour because, like, I, I understand what that would be like if I continue. What would it be like if I do something new? And I think that's, like, my... I'm, I, I do feel so energized even thinking about like moving to the desert. And I'm wondering, like you moved to, you said not Montana, not Montana. Where is it? Uh, Yosemite National Park. Yosemite. Yeah, we're up in Northern California. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> did you move there in order to find like a, a bit more of a slow life or was it something else? That was the main, that was the main thing. Like we had, I lived in LA for a long time and then I moved up to the Bay Area to be with my partner. And then we had our son and then, once and we had our, we were already, but even before I was pregnant, like I moved up there, and I I kind of knew, and we both knew it was temporary. We wanted to live somewhere smaller, but neither one of us were ready, especially me. I guess my partner, I'll say he was ready, but I wasn't quite ready. So I needed like another year or two in the city before I was like, okay, fine. I'm willing to like go to the country now. Um, and then, yeah, we had our son and then I was like, I just was looking around and I'm like, I want something different for him. I want him to just be running around barefoot. I want him to be somewhere where he can just go outside and like have free reign to just like go around wherever and not always have to be like, me like hypervigilant, like, is he okay? Is he going to run out to the street? Is he going to get hit by a car? Just all the stuff you have to navigate in a city. And, right. um, you know, we looked at a lot of different places. We spent about a year like traveling kind of all over Northern California and going to different spots just to see like what would feel good and also what we could afford. Cause up there it's just like so like crazy expensive that we were like, Oh, okay. We had really didn't, I was like, people apparently want to live in small towns. That's the thing. So <laughs> we found a place that was just, you know, within our budget that made sense. So we all, you know, cause I also didn't want to move and then feel like, okay, we like overspent and now I'm having a hustle to like live in the country. Uh, like that is like, oh totally makes God. no sense, you know? Right. <laughs> so, oh wow. Just, yeah. So just making those kind of smart uh, financial decisions just to set us up for the life that we wanted. And yeah, it's been really amazing out here. And it's definitely, like I said, just been syncing up to the rhythm, been syncing up more to the seasons, to the light, to um, just the quiet. It's yeah. like so quiet out here at night. Like, I don't hear anything. That's so I mean, good. <laughs> except for the wind, maybe, you know, yeah, and like the yeah. occasional neighbor, like shooting off a gun or something. But other than that, it's like, it's like nothing. It's just, it's really wild. And it's been so restorative for my nervous system. And I honestly, like, I mean, I've lived in very major metropolitan areas my whole life. And I had a little bit of a fear around like, okay, so this might be cool for like two months and then I'm going to like completely lose my shit and be bored. Or like, what if I have to face all these weird parts of myself and it gets really intense and you know what I mean? It's just, there's a lot that can come up. Um, and all that has come up and I've been totally okay and had the resources and tools to just navigate that. But honestly, it's been such a like a literal breath of fresh air just to be out here and just be in a place where there's more trees than there are humans. It's just really nice. <laughs> yeah. That sounds so idyllic. So that's interesting that you said that, uh, like, I guess maybe in a way that the novelty wore off after a few months and then did you have to like reconnect to, or I guess I'm, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but when you said like, am I going to get bored with this? Did you end up getting bored with the country at first? No, I didn't. And that was my biggest fear. Cause I was like, I'm so used to living in places that are so stimulating, you know, it's like oh, growing yeah. up in Atlanta and then living in LA and living in San Francisco and, you know, just all these places. It's like, there's so much stimulation constantly. And so I was like, what is it going to be like in a place where there's like, 
It's like you just sit there for an hour and like maybe you see a deer walk by, you know, <laughs> yeah. like, am I going to be okay? Like, I, you know, and I, I kind of, it's, I equate it to like many years ago, I went on my first silent meditation retreat and it's something that I'd wanted to do for a long time, but I was terrified. I was like, oh my God, I can't like talk to anybody for a week. Like, right. what? Like, that seems like really scary. And like, anyway, so I finally went and had this like really profound experience. And it was so amazing on like day three, first two days were like hell. It was horrible. Sure. And then day three, everything shifted and it was like, Oh, the, the sky's parted. And I was like, I'm so in my body and this is so cool. And that's kind of what happened out here. I got out here in the first, honestly, the first few months, I, it was just such a relief to be out of the city that I was like, Oh, this is so nice. And then things got a little bit challenging, but then they settled down and I've because th- there's this really cool phenomenon and it's called entrainment. Do you know about entrainment? No. It's really cool. So it's where our bodies, essentially our bodies sync up to an environment. So they, they sync up to the pace of the environment, just wow. like our bodies sync up to a song, right? So you can listen to a song and you can feel a certain way. If you listen to a fast song, you're going to like go a little bit faster. If you listen to a slow song, your body's going to match up to that. It will be entrained to go slower. So when we live in really fast paced environments, our bodies are entrained to match that pace, mm-hmm. right? And part of what was happening to me in LA with burnout is that actually my body wanted to go a different pace and it was coming up against the pace of the city that wasn't quite working for me anymore. Um, So long story short, now that my body has like synced up and has entrained to the rhythm of the place that I'm in, it just feels natural to me now. Wow. Yeah, that makes so much sense. I was just writing in my journal something very similar that I didn't know that terminology yet, but it, it was explaining that exact same thing. Like I, I'm so sensitive to energy around me, especially of a city or an environment. And so I was like, yeah, I'm just, I'm two different people. Like I've got my LA personality and I have my desert personality. And now that I hear that, I'm like, oh, that makes so much sense that I'm, I'm being entrained by the place. Cause it, it really is. And it's interesting because I moved here for a dream, a specific dream. I was a professional dancer before I became a designer. And it's like, okay, that was a whole 10 years of my life. And I've, I've come into different avenues. And now that I look at my life, I'm like, oh, that's not in alignment anymore. Like that's not actually helping the life that I want to live. And so that's exciting to hear your journey and like going to a smaller city because I was not even a city, a smaller town, because that's exactly what I'm toying with. And every single day I'm on Zillow and I'm like, okay, what houses are coming up now? Cause it's just like, it, I can tell that that's what my body's craving. Now that I'm listening to it. Yeah, totally, totally. And you're, I mean, you're, you are so intuitive. And now that you're listening, it's like that, that information and those signals, what I found from my own experience, the more I listen, the, the easier it is to hear and almost like the louder it gets. It's like, I can't ignore it anymore, you know? And I think that's one of, you know, just to circle back briefly to to breathing. That's one of the things that I've always appreciated about breathing. And one of the reasons I continue to do it is because it just gives me access to these parts of myself and gives me access to that deeper listening and that deeper presence. And so now it's like, it's like, I can know I need to do something. And then at some point it's like, all right, it's like, it almost becomes too painful to not do it. And so you're (laughs) like, okay, I just, I gotta just do it. You know, I gotta just take the risk or say the thing or whatever it is that I need to do. And then everything shifts again. Right. It's like, Caring for yourself makes caring for yourself easier. Because yes. once you start doing it, then it'll let you know what it needs. You go, okay, body, I'll give you that. <laughs> yes. And I, you know, I loved what you said earlier, Megan, too. And I'm trying to remember your exact phrasing. So forgive me if I'm, you know, if I'm not getting it exactly right. But when you're, when we were talking about relationships and we're kind of going, oh, I, I know what that is, but like, what could, like, I've already experienced all that. I know those patterns, mm-hmm. but like, what could this look like? What's a different option? Like, 
I haven't explored this route before. Like I haven't explored putting more of my energy into my relationship bucket. Like let's give that a shot, you know? Right. And there's something that's so beautiful about that openness and that curiosity, you know, that can come to when we do this work. It's just like, oh, what could that be like? Huh? Like, what would it be like to live in the desert? And like, let's just go explore that and see, you know? Right. (laughs) Oh my God. I just, I think that discovering things about yourself is like, that's my new high. (laughs) <laughs> like it, it was work before. And I think this one's a much healthier high, <laughs> but um, I wanted to speak a little bit about your actual practice and your methodology, because it, it has a few elements that I'm not familiar with. So I think that my audience would be really interested in it as well. Um, so can you explain a little bit more about like your specific methodology of breath work? Yeah, totally. So my method of breath, um, breathology can't even talk. <laughs> my method That's of the breath next work. Brand. <laughs> I know it is. Here we go. Ding ding. Um, <laughs> <laughs> my method of um, breath work in the um, is is a couple different parts. So it's first and foremost, it's trauma informed, which is really important to me as a trauma survivor, and also important, I think, just in this day and age to be trauma aware and trauma sensitive. Like the reality is that. Most of us, I'm not going to say all because you can't ever say that, but mm-hmm. most of us have some kind of trauma that we're grappling with. And there's collective trauma, there's trauma that's literally on the land that we live on. I mean, there's just so much that is happening that's embedded in our nervous systems, that's part of our psyches that needs to be addressed. And, you know, when I first started working with breath work, I had no. I know trauma training and I was teaching classes and I was getting clients that were having these like, um, like really. Um, huge experiences where they were discovering parts of themselves and like having memories from their past come up that they were like, oh my God, like I've, my body has blocked this out for a good reason to mm-hmm. keep me safe. But like now it's all flooding back. And, you know, as a practitioner, I'm kind of going, oh my God, like, okay, how can I help you? Like I need right. to go get, I need to get some more help so that I can know what to do. And so I've been for the last six years really heavily studying trauma and somatic trauma and how trauma works in the body and like how to help heal and repair it. So that's a big aspect of my breath work. And another big aspect is there, you know, there's so many different ways that people practice breath, but mine is really, you know, client focused and in the sense of like, what does the client need when I see them? You know, there's a way that you know, yoga or breath work or even meditation can kind of be put upon us. It's like, okay, you do this practice now, but then I actually want to sit with my client and be like, where are you at right now? Mm -hmm. You know, like what's happening in your life? Like what's going to be the most supportive for you? Because the reality is not sure we can say that, you know, on a general scale, like if you're doing a extended exhale, like, so you're inhaling through your nose, you're exhaling through your nose and your exhale is a little bit longer than your inhale. We know science shows that that that's regulating for the nervous system. So that is going to help our nervous system regulate. It's going to help bring us more into a parasympathetic state. That's really helpful. 90% of my clients, that's what they need. Like (laughs) they're more on the like anxious stress, like dealing with life, trauma, burnout, like that kind of picture. Like they need like self-regulation tools. It's like, how can I get in my body? How can I feel safer in my body? How can I stay in my body for longer periods of time? And how can I access the part of myself that's more the word I use is adult. So how do I stay more in my adult self versus Mm -hmm. getting always triggered and activated into a younger part of myself? Because, you know, through this work we see, it's like when we're coming from those younger places who just need our attention, that's all they're really asking for. But that can create a lot of complications in our life versus coming from like our, our center and from our adult place. And so a lot of the breath work that I do is really working around that too. It's like, how do we live more from our integrity and from our values. And so it's about exploring our values through our body, through our breath and getting those values centered 
in our core, in our nervous system, so that we can have that North Star that isn't coming from our culture, that isn't coming from like something that was embedded in us or imprinted on us from our lineage, but something that's coming directly from us. And, you know, the other piece I want to mention too, just touching briefly on, you know, trauma and ancestral trauma is so often in trauma talk, we're like really focusing on like all the negative aspects of the trauma that came through. And it's really important and I love that a lot of people are now talking about like post-traumatic growth because it's really important to Ooh. recognize the resilience that we have. It's like they made it, you know, like they made it and we are making it too, Yeah, you know, and it's so important to name that. And it's so important to like tap into that resilience. And, you know, I have a, I'm Jewish, have like a really like complicated, you know, Jewish lineage. And it's just, it's amazing to like think about my ancestors and to think about what they endured and to also connect with like the gratitude of like the perseverance and the strength and the resilience. And so I think for all of us, that's something to to connect to and really focus on. And so a lot of the breath work and a lot of my methodology is really focused on resilience building and like how do we build the resilience within our own systems, but then also connect that outward so that we have support because we can be supported by the resilience of our ancestors. We can be supported by the resilience of the earth. And so how do we make those connections and how do we foster those relationships? Wow. That was so well said. It's like, you've said it before. <laughs> it was- no, I actually, I was like, <laughs> I have these moments sometimes where I'm talking and, I, and I'm present and I know what I'm saying, but yes. then I'm like, You're like I gotta there's write sometimes when I'm like in it, like it's a little bit of a download too. So, totally. You know? <laughs> no, that, I mean, that was so beautiful. I'm, I'm, if anyone was on the fence about breath work, I think they, they have just signed up. <laughs> They're like, I'm in. Yeah. Um, I'm obviously going to link all of your stuff in the show notes in order for people to find you and more of your work. But you just said you finished your manuscript. I have your first book in my hand now, How to Breathe. So they can find that. When is the second book coming out if you have a date? So our pub date is um, October 2022. So publishing industry is a little slower, you know, sometimes that, and because of COVID things are just going a little bit slower now. So we're looking at a year out, but first, uh, manuscript is in, we're going to be editing for a few months. And then actually a dear friend of mine is designing the book. So it's just like how to breathe. It's like heavily designed and it's going to be really beautiful and it's going to be a big, um, I can't, I'm not, allowed to say the title, but I will say that it is going to be an antidote to burnout. And it's basically, um, it's like the companion book to how to breathe. So for those of you who have how to breathe, for those of you who are like getting into breath work and doing the practices in there, this is like the next phase. So it's the next step on the journey. Wow. I am so excited. And now that you mentioned the design, I will say that like the first thing that I saw or when I opened the book, it was like, wow, this is a beautiful book. And then I I scrolled, scrolled through the pages. Wow. I'm a millennial. (laughs) When I was like thumbing through the pages, like the, the texture of the paper choice that you have was amazing. And like anything that was printed on it was just so high quality, the font choices. So, I mean, you can tell you've got an artistic background. And so everything about it is beautiful. The content, the visuals of it, I'm excited for anyone else to grab it and we can do breath work together because this is very new to me, but I'm very, very excited to see where it takes me. I'm so excited to see where it takes you too. And, you know, my encouragement for the book for you and for those who are going to grab it is to really use it 
in a way that's intuitive. So I typically, it's in, it's in three sections. So the first two sections are kind of nuts and bolts pieces like autonomic nervous system, how to get in touch with that, learning about your diaphragm. Second chapter is really like, like how do, like how, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like how do we set up a practice? How do we stay consistent? What does that look like? So it's getting into those like more pragmatic pieces. And then the end of the book is all the different practices and, and the table of contents, it's an alphabetical order you can read through. So there's a practice for anger. There's a practice for boundaries. There's a practice for intimacy. There's a practice for resilience. And you can just pick and choose based on what your needs are in that moment. And all the practices are meant to be short, accessible, repeatable. Really, that's really the thing. It's like, just do it consistently as, you know, as best you can. And I typically suggest whatever time of day you can do, right? Back in the, like way back when, before I had a child and when I was just kind of solo in LA, I would wake up at four in the morning because that's when all the yogis get up and like do their (laughs) meditation in the dark. And that's like when a lot of, you know, like Michelle Obama, that's when like big people get up and like do their like magic work. So I was like, okay, if it's good enough for her, like I can get up at 4 a.m. too. Yes, you know, get me into that. And I do my dry brushing and I do all this chanting and like all this kind of stuff, right? Like I'd get into it, but now life is different. So mm-hmm. it's just about fitting it in where you can and just trying to have, just trying to make it a daily habit. That's really the main yeah. thing. Yeah. And I really like that you write like how long it will take because for yes. me, I'm always like, okay, I live by my calendar. And so when you're like, yeah. okay, this is a sitting medita- meditation five minutes ago. Oh, got it. Like I can yeah. do that. <laughs> totally. Yeah. And that was really the plan because I know when I was thinking about you know, when I was writing the book, I was thinking a lot about what I was going through when I started and also all the clients that I work with. And they're like, but how long is this going to take? Like, mm-hmm. you know, how can I fit this in? Like, how can I, it's like, okay, let's just make this like as easy as possible again, because those are the habits that are the easiest to recreate and the easiest to get to stick and actually become integrated into our lives. It's like, it's gotta be simple to start with. Like you don't need to breathe for an hour. You don't even need to breathe for 20 minutes. Like mm-hmm. start with just a couple minutes and build from there. Yeah. I'm so excited. I mean, after we get done recording, I most likely will do one and that will be so exciting. I'm so energized by talking to you. Thank you so much for your time. I, I'm very excited for people to hear this episode. Thank you so much for having me, Megan. I feel like we went on such an amazing journey together and I just loved everything we talked about and I'm really grateful. So thank you. Yay. Round of applause for everyone. That was beautiful. (laughs) That was a HeadGum Podcast.